Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. If you're visiting with us, we uh, are glad that you are with us this morning and, and that you chose to come and, and worship the Lord here with us at Grace Family Fellowship. Uh, I want you to know if you're visiting that you do have a home here at Grace Family, and we hope that it has felt that way. We hope that you have, have been welcomed and, and, and loved on and, and, and that you know that, that this is a place where it's all about the name of Jesus Christ. It's about God. And so this week, we uh, get into our, the, the second to last uh, sermon in our Ephesians series, but really the last section. And many times people kind of put these two things together in the, the armor of God, and we, we, you know, we kind of do that. But I want us to slow down a little bit, and we're just going to break it into two. So don't worry, this isn't like, you know, subpart with 27 different things. But Paul jumps into a section here, and he says the word finally, and so it's, He's been listing and telling us how to live as wise. We go back to the beginning of chapter 5, and he says, Therefore, live as wise, not as unwise, making the best use of the time. The armor of God's section is not this thing that he tacked on to the end that's just poetic and sounds good. He's telling us if you want to live in wisdom, then it's going to take learning how to walk in strength that God provides. It's going to take learning how to live in his power and not in our own. And of everything in Ephesians, this one may be <clears throat> one of the most difficult. Because let's just face it, we, none of us wants to be weak, right? We don't enjoy being weak. We don't enjoy feeling out of control. We don't want to hold up our weaknesses and say, here's who I am. We want to be strong. We want to be competent. We want to be independent. And all of those things are somewhat antithetical sometimes to faith when we make idols out of them. When we're so focused on being strong, we forget to surrender to God. When we're so focused on being independent in the world, we forget that we are fully dependent on God. And so what Paul is doing in this last section is showing us, first, how to be immovable. There are parts of our faith that need to be so bedrock, so set in stone in our lives that nothing can move you from it. Nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean, we get into the book of Revelation and it says there are those who love not their lives unto what? Death. There need to be things <coughs> in the <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> there need to be things in the Christian life that we're willing to die for. Have you thought about that, what that is? Because if we haven't established that ahead of time, it's going to be really hard to make that decision in the moment. Now, is that everything? <clears throat> no. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that we can kind of keep to ourselves. When we look in the book of Romans in chapter 14... It says, don't be contentious about disputable matters. It says, don't argue about things that are disputable. He says, you know, be fully convinced in your own mind, but that faith you have, keep between you and God. I mean, there aren't even things that we have to go out on a crusade to make sure other Christians agree with us on, much less die over. But if he says, don't be contentious about disputable matters, if there are disputable matters, what does that also mean? That means that there are in 
disputable matters. And those need to be the foundation. Everything needs to draw from that, and it needs to be a place that we just simply will not compromise. Now, again, we have to be wise about that, and that's what Paul was saying. He, he says, you know, live as wise, not as unwise, because when we mess up and we make a disputable matter into an indisputable, what happens? Well, our church splits over the color of the carpet. You know, it, it does. Hey, we, we end up taking sides on things that we should have never took sides on, that we should never have been divided over, and we become immovable in places where God's like, oh, I absolutely need you to move on this. I, don't, don't dig in here. This isn't even worth anything. <clears throat> and so, look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Oh, there he is. He brought the water. I don't need it now. I got through it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> finally, be strong in the Lord. That's my son, so I'm giving him a hard time. If anybody does not know, that's, that's my son. You know, I'm only rude to him, not, you know, general people. <laughs> finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, I think he's trying to tell us we need to be able to withstand and, and not be moved. Have you ever had an argument with somebody that wouldn't give up? You ever had to fight with something that just would not give up? What, what, what happens? Even if you're right, there comes a point it doesn't matter anymore, right? You're like, just, I quit. You know why? Because you can't beat something that will not quit. That's what he's telling us we are to be. There has to be a, a point in our faith in which we become immovable. We're not going to quit. You're going to have to kill me to make this stop. And you know what? That's, that, that has happened in every age of the church. In those times when it happened the most is when the church grew the most in history. Because people saw the resolve of the Christians who would take a stand for God. And they said, we'll kill you if you don't. They said, I, okay. I went out of this. You kill me, I go to heaven. You don't kill me, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. And you're eventually going to believe. So either way, I win. And I know that sounds funny, but it really is the truth. There has to be that point in our lives. And... Where he tells us this needs to happen first is that we need to know our strength. We need to know what true strength is. Because we get this messed up all the time. And I know, and even in my own life in the past, there have been moments that I'm like, God, make me stronger, make me stronger. How many of you prayed that? Like, God, just make me stronger. I just want to be strong. Make me strong. Make me strong. Make me strong, God. And nothing happens. You know why? Because we're praying, God, make me me strong. And you know what God says? He goes, I'm already strong for you. 
And what did he say in Ephesians already? He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That means his strength. And so if we're constantly looking to God to make us stronger, we may be looking for the wrong thing. And we may become very disappointed when we actually learn the truth, as Paul did, that, hey, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Ooh, wait a minute. Wait. See, when we really get to the truth of that, we don't like it. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. But we're like, God, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong. I want to be strong for you. I want to be a force for you. And he says, oh, you can be a force for me, but you're going to do it my way. And that begins with this. Finally, be strong and in the Lord, strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You see, this is a part of wise living, making the most of the time because the days are evil. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So now we are able to walk in God's strength that he has provided through his spirit. Now, we know the ultimate outcome of this. What is it? Heaven. Eternity in the presence of God where there is no sin, no death, no suffering, no shame. It's perfect. It's what God wants it to be. We know God will have the last say, and so his strength will always point us to that end. We're not working, and we've we got to get this right. We are not working to establish heaven on earth. This world will always be broken. We're not going to fix it. Now, we are called to be salt and light in this world, meaning what? The world will always be broken, and God's presence will always be known within it. And that's his people. We are to shine his light in a dark world that's always going to be dark. The light will come from the church. But we're not going to fix the world. Until Jesus returns, this world will remain broken. And we will fight the evil of this world and struggle against the evil in this world all the days of our lives. There will never be a time that we're going to sit back and be like, oh, look, God fixed it all. We can relax. No, we have to learn to be strong in him. Which means we have this contrast, the world we live in and the God we serve and the light that he brings. And they are always going to be completely separate. They're going to be at odds with each other. Meaning what we see, what we hear, what we experience is going to be different than what we experience in the spirit through faith. We're going to have this paradox and this contrast that we are always going to be fighting in life. And sometimes what happens is we think that it's a failure because we are acutely aware of our weaknesses and we are aware of the evil in this world and we see how broken it is and it's not getting fixed and we think, well, we must be failing. No. Because the calling has never been to fix the world. What is it? It says the calling is make disciples of all nations. That's very different than fix the world. And so we have to learn how to have the proper motivation, the proper strength 
to carry that out in a dark world. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Well, that sounds cheery, doesn't it? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, Paul, he endured all of these things. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He, he was whipped. He was ridiculed. He was run out of every city that he went into almost. He was, he was humiliated. He did go hungry. He, he did experience all of this. How did he get through it? The strength that God gave him. And so notice, we, we've got to be careful in this. When he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, he's not saying those things aren't going to happen. He's saying when they do happen, you can make it. You will make it. And if it kills you, again, heaven. You win. And that's what he's saying. None of these things can separate you from the love of Christ. So he's not making a promise that life's going to be easy. In fact, what did he just list? He said, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Guess what? Welcome to the life of a Christian in the first century. Persecution was real. And guess what? Welcome to the life of a Christian in Asia right now. Welcome to the life of a Christian in a Middle Eastern country. You see, we in America, we've kind of forgotten it because persecution is strictly social on us right now. And so if we were going to create a, a line, 1 through 10 up here, and, and 1 is, is, is way over here. You know, I'll do it the other way for you all. We'll do 1 is over here, and, and it's the, the softest form of persecution you can have. And 10 is martyrdom. Where would you say we stand as Americans right now? We, we, we probably down here at about 1, maybe 0.5. We, we really, we don't get it. And that's what happens is we've got this loss of purpose within our faith because it has been so easy. And please know, I'm not throwing stones on this, but there is a reality to this. Because it has been so easy, we haven't had to access that harder part of our faith and, and that, that strength that God provides in those moments where we say, you know what? You can kill me. I don't care. My God is more important than that. None of us has had to access that. Now, maybe you have in, in a personal sense, okay, so I don't want to put it down. Maybe, maybe in a personal sense something has happened in your life, but I'm just saying societally, as churches, we have not had to deal with that. And because we haven't had to deal with that, we have remade the purpose of the church to be health and wealth and personal prosperity and success. And so we look at a struggle in life of, oh, they're, I'm financially struggling right now. And we're like, God, why? And you know what? Other people in the other part of the world are like, um, stop. Just stop. I don't know. No, my pastor's been arrested and burned three times. 
Our church has been burned down six times and we've rebuilt it and we just keep meeting. Eh, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Your life is good. God has blessed you. You see, we haven't had to do that. And so the strength that God provides is a strength that enables us to remain faithful to him while enduring hardships of the world and the enemy. Now, don't get it twisted. We do have challenges here that those others aren't facing. I was just talking about persecution. Uh, Okay? We just have different challenges. Ours are the challenges that come with affluence and ease. And it's a very real challenge that we have to be willing to face. We do have a challenge of needing to understand our faith because we live in an information age where there's so much information out there that we're drowning in information but have no wisdom. And we have to be the people who bring that wisdom to the world. In our world right now, that is shining your light, is being a person who knows the truth and is willing to stand on it despite the social pressures against it. We have our own challenges, and God, his strength does provide also for the challenges that we face. But we have to get it right. You see, the world's idea of strength is to be independent and powerful enough to assert control over others. Right? That is the worldly definition of power. The ability to assert control. Whether it's over culture, over nature, over people, it doesn't matter. The ability to assert control. What is the call to faithfulness? Giving up control. See, we have competing ideas for power that we have to deal with. And God says, hey, be strong in my power, not in your power. Your power is limited, it's weak, it's, it's finite, it's imperfect, it's going to get it wrong, it's going to focus on the wrong things. Focus on me and my strength and I will provide. But where is God's strength found? It is found only in obedience. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It comes only through submission to him. And so, it's only found in obedience. It is what the opposite of what the world calls strength. It is to surrender to true power. And here's another catch in this. God's strength will only serve God's purposes. God's strength will only serve God's purposes. So we can say, I'm strong in the Lord, and then we go try to do something on our own, and guess what? You're doing it on your own. Now, it doesn't mean God's abandoned you, but he's like, I'm not going to help. That's not what I told you to do. And we see that throughout the Old Testament all the time with the nation of Israel. He tells them to do something, they won't do it. And they're like, oh, we're sorry, we'll go do it now. He says, oh, no, that, that window has closed Don't go do that. And they do it anyway, and they suffer defeat. And then they're like, God, why did we lose? And he's like, really? Because I told you not to. But you told us to do it before. And like, yeah, but you didn't. And then I told you not to, and you did it anyway. So no, God's strength only serves his purposes. And if it's only God's purposes, then that means it is spiritual, it is unseen, It's an internal strength, and it is for God's kingdom, which we do not yet see. 
which means a whole lot of his strength is based on what? It's on faith, and it is in the unseen. It is eternal. It is not something we are going to just immediately like, hey, my life completely transformed because of God's strength. Our mind can, can transform like that. We can get a new perspective. We can get the truth. We can, we can find a faith in God that now the way we look at our life is completely different. But many times God's strength is not that thing that's just going to get all your ducks in a row for you and make everything work out. And that's many times what we want it to be here in America. You see, unfortunately here in America what we do is we run everything at, at like max volume. You know, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. We're working 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. We're, we're doing all this, and, and we got activities all over the place and all this. And so we think, if I just add God into the mix, he'll make it all work out. And so we put God in there. We're like, okay, God, make all this work. And he says, cool, get rid of some of it and make room for me. And we're like, but, but I brought you into this, God, to make it work. And we're trying to make the perfect world around us when that's never going to exist. You see, when we chase the wrong thing, God's not going to bless it. It has to be for his purposes. And so listen again to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. You see, Paul's been listing out all the stuff he's been going through. He's been shipwrecked. He's had famine. He's been in prison. He's talking about all the stuff that's happened to him. He's been stoned. He says, so we don't lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away. Hmm, interesting thing to say, isn't it? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, yeah, my body hurts. Yeah, I'm hungry, cold. I've experienced all of this stuff, and yes, my body is wasting away. I'm going to die one day. This world is going to die one day. But that's not my focus. My focus is on the unseen on the spiritual, on the truth of Jesus Christ and his kingdom that's coming one day and will be established forever. That's his focus. And it's how he endures all of it. That's what strength is. To be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is to understand the truth that this world is broken, but that God will get us through it. He will provide the strength necessary he will provide the resources necessary to get through. That doesn't mean it's going to be awesome. I, I hate to tell you that. It's, it's not popular right now. A lot of people say, you know, God wants to bless you beyond everything you could want. You no. Know? Paul went to prison. He was innocent, but he went anyway. Sometimes things will happen in this world that don't make any sense. We just have to trust God through it and say, you know what? I don't know why this is happening, but I know in the end all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, God, I need your strength to get through this faithfully. But then the next thing we need to know is you've got to know your fight. Have you, ever been, have you ever had a moment in your life you were fighting the wrong fight? And, I mean, you really found out, like, oops, you know, and you want to go crawl in a hole afterwards because you're like, I'm pretty sure I just made a fool of myself now because 
that wasn't even the right thing to fight about. Like, I'm fighting, and now they just see that I just want to fight, and that's it. It's all just about the fight. Yeah, we got to know the right fight. And Paul tells us that, okay? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, that's important. Make a note there. If you've got your Bible, underline the word schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What do we fight? Is it people? No. And, and I know that this can seem hard because sometimes we just see people in this world and we're like, they're so evil. They just do evil. Well, they're doing the bidding of their master. They've given themselves over to evil, so they do evil things. But you know what? Whether it's evil in the heart or overt evil, guess what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So apart from Jesus, guess what? We're all the same. It doesn't matter if you're on the top of Mount Everest or you're in the Mariana Trench, the bottom of the ocean. You still can't touch the stars. It doesn't matter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we don't fight people. People are not the enemy. People are created in the image of God, and Jesus died for every one of them. Every one. And we got to learn to see that. And Paul did. Now, Paul had times in his life where he said, Alexander the silversmith did me great harm. May God give him what's coming to him. There are times that it's okay for us to be like, God, I'm going to leave them to you. And I'm going to bow out. I don't have to let them continue to beat on me. But I can't hate them and I can't try to get even. But I can put them in God's hands because vengeance is the Lord's. I will repay. And you know what? God's going to do a far better job of it than you ever would. It's not saying you have to tolerate evil. But it is saying that we have to be able to see the image of God in everybody and that Jesus died for everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so there are, what we fight are spiritual forces that are at work at levels we really can't imagine. God has not chosen to show us the spiritual realm. We live in a physical world with a physical existence right now, but what Paul has just told us is that there is a spiritual reality to evil that is constantly at work in this world, working and fighting against us. Now, I don't want to give Satan too much power. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He, but he has a lot of demons that work for him. Okay? And Satan is not in hell right now. He does not rule over hell. Hell was created for him. Satan was cast from heaven down to earth so he's here and his demons work for him and what do they do they create schemes okay we are fighting listen to what paul says against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that is what we are fighting 
Now, I don't mean to scare anybody, but guess what? There's a demon who knows your name. And he comes after you. And guess what? He's studied you. They know you. They know your buttons. They know your weaknesses. They know, they know your potential in Christ. And they are working hard to make sure you never turn to him in the fullness of what God wants to do. They will do everything, which means they'll even give you peace. There may be times that we think God's blessing us when really it's demons like, hey, you know what, just make them comfortable. Just keep them comfortable because if they're on the verge of, of just saying, you know what, God, you can have all of it. So, so make life easy. Make life easy. See, we don't understand it. And, and he says they are, they are very real. They are very dark. They are unseen powers and authorities that are working against us spiritually. And they bring schemes. And we need to understand that. This is not just like a boxing match like we see sometimes in, in, in comics and things like, you know, cartoons where it's us just fighting evil and we're trying. No, these are schemes that are designed to trip us up in our faith, to get us to rebel against God. And it says that's what we fight. We are fighting and we need the wisdom. That's why we walk in wisdom. We need the wisdom to recognize and not fall for these schemes. And the only way we don't fall for them, listen, none of us in here is smart enough to outsmart a demon. Okay, understand. They are, I mean, let's just think of it. They are tens of thousands of years old. They've seen it all. Okay? Forget that they're created higher than us and that they're more powerful than us and, and all of that. Just the fact that they've existed as long as they have, they know. Okay? They know. We cannot beat them on our own. Satan has been defeating man from the beginning. And he'll keep defeating man on our own. That's why Paul says you need to be strong in the Lord. Now, when you're strong in him and you put on the armor of God, which we will get into next week as to what that means, when we put on the armor of God, it protects us from those schemes. We're able to see them for what they are. We're able to refuse to bow the knee to them. We don't give in to them. And then he says withstand in the evil day and after having done everything, just simply stand. Nope, I won't be moved. I won't do it. I won't give up, nor will I take this step that God has not told me to take. I will simply do what God tells me to do. And so these schemes are elaborate, supernatural plans designed to feed the sin nature so a person will sacrifice his or her faith, identity, and life. Okay, I want to say that again because this is an important part. Satanic schemes are elaborate, supernatural plans designed to feed the sin nature so a person will sacrifice his or her faith, identity, and life. That's what the schemes do. That's what Satan's goal is. So, let's talk about this. To get us to sacrifice our faith. How does that work? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. He says, did God really say, what is it? Sacrifice your faith. You start questioning whether God's actually good. Guess what? Once we do that, once we start questioning God's goodness and his love for us, it's just a matter of time. And when I say question, I say, hey, you know, God, show me how you love me or, or searching into it. I'm not saying searching God's love for us. I mean questioning it, thinking God is withholding something from me because he doesn't like me. 
because God is against me. God is, is somehow being mean to me. Or God is, is, I'm missing out on something because God is withholding goodness from me. When Satan gets us to believe that, it's just a matter of time before we take the fruit and we start eating. Because he's going to paint a picture of something else offering us what he tells us God is withholding from us. And he's going to tell us, this will give you what you want. And so we have a, a simple verse. Romans 14, 23 says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Because you see, when our faith is attacked, it is at its heart a loss of truth. He says, did God really say? All that was required was what? No, he told me this, and that one's going to kill me. End of discussion. I'm not eating that. In fact, I think I'll go over here to the tree of life and eat it right in front of you. But they didn't do that. You see, because what is faith? Faith is obedience. Faith is believing something so strongly you have to act upon it. And when we believe the truth, we act upon the truth and we live in accordance with it. And so Paul's able to say very easily, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Think about how broad that is. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Because if it's not based on the truth of Jesus Christ, it's not based on the truth of God's holiness, then it's got to be based on something else, which means sin. Which means it's going to fall short. Then a loss of identity. What happened in the Garden of Eden? They eat from the tree and then suddenly what? They realize they're naked and they feel ashamed of themselves and they hide from God and they cover themselves. They lost their identity. They became ashamed of who they were. Here they are, the crowning achievement of God's creation, king of the earth, created in God's image and glorious, and they're hiding in shame. There was a complete loss of identity. They didn't know who they were anymore. Paul puts it this way, and what happens in that is a loss of the image of God within ourselves. We, we forget that. We don't realize we are made in the image of God. We lose it. It's gone. And so in Romans 1, 22 and 23, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. What is that? A change in identity. They claim to be wise, but that what, they became something. They didn't just do something foolish. They became fools. God didn't create us to be fools. But we became fools. And in doing that, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's a downward progression that we've talked about. Just downwards. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. God, and only God, can bring out the greatest in mankind. Because we are created in his image. We have an upward calling. And when we are striving upward in that calling, we'll accomplish great things. We will. We will accomplish wonderful things for his kingdom. We will fill the earth and subdue it. We will do what we were created to do. But when we don't turn to God, we will accomplish horrific things. Horrific things. In the Old Testament, and even today, child sacrifice. Murder. Betrayal. Division. Hatred. We accomplish horrific things when we aren't looking up. And then finally, life. Life. It doesn't matter if it's individuals, families, cultures. It doesn't matter. What Satan wants us to do is to sacrifice life to him. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. 
don't let that simple phrase go unnoticed. Because the wages of sin is always death, will always be death, can only be death. Sin always leads to some kind of death. Death of relationship, death of confidence, de death of purpose. There, there's a whole spectrum here, but it will always lead to death. And that is ultimately Satan's goal. Everything Satan does or his demons do in your life, what these power, spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly realms, what their schemes are designed to do is to destroy you. That's it. He has one goal, and they are singularly focused on it. The destruction of those created in the image of God. And there is no depth they will not sink to. There is nothing off limits for them. They will do anything to accomplish this goal. Paul has already called Satan in this book the prince of the power of the air. There's a reason. He's the one pulling the strings in this world. He's the one. His schemes go out all over the place. And he does it at institutional levels. He does it at, at large levels. There are systems all throughout the world. And guess what? Every one of those systems has been corrupted because of his influence. And what's his goal? To cause death. That's why we must be strong in the Lord. Because we're going to be bombarded constantly. We're, we're going to be hit with this darkness left and right our entire lives. And there's no way to stop it. Again, God did not call us to make the world perfect. He says, you be salt and light in the world. He says, the world's going to keep being the world. You're the one that's going to be different. My people will be the ones who are different and bring the salt, the preservation of life, who bring the light and the direction and the hope into the world. So yeah, that's your job. If you are here today and you claim the name of Jesus Christ, your job is to bring salt and light into this world in some way. Now, again, that does, I didn't say go solve the world's problems. I didn't say fix everything. I said be salt and light. Sometimes that can just be simply saying thank you in a world where people are rude. Sometimes that can be smiling at somebody. Sometimes it can be praying for somebody in a moment when they really need it. And you turn them to God. It doesn't have to be these grandiose things. Most of the time it's in the smallest things that God's like, hey, right now do this. And we do it and it makes a difference. That is what salt and light is. Because it's our job then to withstand the evil attacks. Where does he finish this? Because we've got to understand victory too. Have you ever won and you didn't know you won? You know, wouldn't it be weird if you're watching the Chiefs play and, you know, fourth quarter goes down and they just keep playing? You know, it's like, hey, the game's over. You won. No, no, it doesn't feel like we won. I just I want to keep going. No, what happens at the end of the game? We're watching that clock pretty strongly, right? You know, they're ahead. We're watching the clock like, come on, faster, 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 faster. No timeout. Just, just click down the clock. We got to know what victory is. And so listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's it. That sounds really anticlimactic, doesn't it? 
I mean, for the Christian life, and, and like, I want, I, want to st- I, want to, I want to do something great for you, God. He says, cool, take a punch. Do I get to punch back? No, I'll punch back for you. Just stand there and don't be moved. Just stand. Okay, when I stand here, God, people get really mad. I mean, they get really angry. I know, just stand there. Well, do I, do I yell back? No, don't yell back at them. In fact, love them, pray for them. God, I, this is hard. I, I don't understand. This doesn't feel like a victory. I know. Stand firm. Just stay there. Don't be moved. And guess what? That is the victory. That is. That we have those things in our life that are based on the truth. Please, it base it on the truth. For which we are unwilling to be moved. And when we stand that ground and we do so in a godly fashion, it's not creating heaven on earth. It is not worldly success in terms of money or influence or power or, or whatever. It's not personal peace and prosperity. It is, success is being able to withstand the evil day. That's how Paul puts it, to withstand in the evil day. When evil comes in like a flood, that we just stand there and it's like we are anchored to a spot and the wind can blow and and, and the waves can crash and it says Jesus said we are built on the rock and we don't fall. That is victory in this world. And to be that kind of person for years as you live life and you reach other people and you love them and you share the gospel and you are salt and light and you continue to stand, guess what? That is the thing that when we get to heaven, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward, and I promise the reward's going to be worth it. But right now, victory will not feel like victory. But we can still look at it and say, nope, I have done exactly what I was set out to do, and that is to stand firm in the truth. You see, there's a reason over and over that they tell us, in scripture, if you're persecuted for Christ's sake, rejoice. Do you know what he's telling you? Hey, you're doing something right. If they hate you because of Jesus, and make sure it's because of Jesus. If they hate you because of Jesus, he says you're, you're pushing all the right buttons here. You're doing it right. Rejoice. You're in a blessed position. God's using you. That's a good thing. And so what happens when we do that, when we adopt that mindset of being able to withstand in the evil day and to be salt and light, here's what happens. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's saying that God is with you through all of it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So there's withstanding in the evil day. That's exactly what that was. Okay, Paul's telling them when the evil day comes, here's how you do it. And what happens when we stand? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the reward on earth. The peace of God will be with you. It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. You will see clearly to know truth from error, wise from unwise. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the reward. That is victory in what it means to be 
immovable in this world. But it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no self-help process that will get us there. We have to be strong in the Lord, which means that we put our faith in Jesus and the gospel and the fact that he died for us, that he was raised again, and that he's coming back. It has to be there or it won't work. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. And God, we thank you that you have shown us how to be immovable, that you have shown us how to stand firm, that we can know what true strength is, God, that we can know what true victory is. And God, we can know what the fight really is. And God, help us to have that wisdom as we go through this week. God, help us maybe to look at things differently this week, not as in fighting people, but God, as in fighting the, the spiritual forces of evil. May it affect our prayer life, how we treat other people, how we respond to other people. God, use us in this battle. Help us to be wise, not unwise, and to make the most use of the time. God, help us to be strong. Teach us how to be strong in the power of your might. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray it together. Amen.